Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. Chapter 4, and I'm going to ask uh, Derlin to come and read for us, picking up at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, who, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose is do not purpose that the Scripture says? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Thank you, Darling. And we remind ourselves again on this uh, Sunday morning that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. And let's just go to Lord in prayer for a few moments as we look at the scripture together. Father, we come before you and uh, just thank you for... Your faithfulness, Lord, even in the wonderful promises that we sing, that you will hold us fast, Lord, because you've already given the ultimate um, sacrifice in Christ our Lord, that his very blood was shed for us. And Lord, we have even been called the the friends of of God. And we just uh, rejoice in this assurance that we have. But Lord, we pray that it would never become uh, a license for uh, pride or for selfishness. Lord, that we would be continually compelled by the love of Christ and respond with obedience to your word and with a, a humility uh, all the days of our life as we walk before you, that we remind ourselves that you are the potter and that we are the clay and God, that we would uh, not lift up our, our souls before you, but just continually keep our eyes upon Christ and his sufficiency and uh, his beauty that we would rejoice to be as mirrors that reflect back your glory and goodness uh, to a watching world. And even as we consider this topic of of prayer and, um, Lord, rooting out 
worldliness, even in our prayers, we, we ask that you would help to uh, discern our own motives and that you would teach us, even as the disciples asked the Lord, that you would teach us to pray and Lord, that we would learn to ask in accordance with your will and uh, with humility and uh, faith in our hearts. And we ask this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Thank you. So this morning, the title is uh, Rooting Out Worldliness in Prayer. And uh, of course, this entire section is James strongly coming at the church, warning them of the dangers of worldliness, the need for repentance and what even repentance is. And so I want to just focus this morning on this few verses that he talks about prayer in uh, verse 3 and the end of verse 2 there, and, uh, and pray that the Lord would use it to continue to help us grow an understanding of what prayer is and what does it mean to, to uh, not pray in a, in a worldly, selfish sort of way. And I think if we're honest as followers of Christ, that is probably safe to say, I know at least in my own life, um, that one area where we feel most inadequate probably is in our prayer life. Uh, we look at the example of Jesus in his earthly ministry, often stealing away to pray to the Father, and at times Jesus spending all night in prayer. And maybe we relate to the disciples more than Christ in this way, who could not even pray with him for one hour during his darkest hour, but they all fell asleep. And I certainly relate to that display of weakness in the disciples. Uh, Even a few nights ago, I was uh, trying to pray with my son Nathan, and... uh, and I remember, you know, we started the prayer and then I woke up in the chair and it was about 1 a.m. And uh, I was like, what happened? I asked my wife the next morning what happened because I didn't really remember how that all ended. And I talked to Nathan. He said, well, you did finish praying, Dad, and then you kind of fell asleep. And, uh, and so it was just a reminder of our own weakness in, in prayer at times. And uh, thanks, Luke. Um, and, and just uh, our, our often inability to, to be steadfast in this area of prayer. And so this morning as we, as we look at this, we realize that there's not only the challenge in prayer of our own physical weakness and, and distracted minds or distracted hearts, but then there's also this spiritual battle raging. The devil knows that the prayers of the saints is the means through which God rules. I, I think often of a quote by Ligon Duncan who said that it's through the prayers of the saints that God rules the nations. And so we, 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 this is mysterious to us, but this is what God has revealed, that the, the prayers of the saints are a means through which he accomplishes his work in the world. And it's not that we uh, change or bend the will of God, but, but as we walk in the Spirit and intercede, we are caught up in this intercession of the triune God, um, the Spirit Uh, moving the church to pray and the son interceding as our high priest to the father and the father uh, moving the the very forces of heaven on behalf of his glory and for the sake of his son. So there's a spiritual battle. The the, the devil knows that that he he is uh, enabled to to resist the, 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 the prayers of the saints because God has promised that through this means to storm even the gates of hell. 
When the, pray, when, the, when the saints pray earnestly to God and when we pray with humility, the, the kingdom of God advances and darkness is pushed further into the shadows. And so if the devil can't get us to stop praying, I, I think another tactic would be to influence us to pray wrongly so that our prayers are rendered ineffective. If he can't make the church stop praying, then a good tactic would be to make us pray or to influence us to pray wrongly so that our prayers are rendered ineffective. So this morning, I want to just take a few moments and consider what James says about this matter of prayer in the life of the believer. Uh, Though he does not devote an entire chapter to the topic of prayer, he certainly gives us some wonderful insights into prayer throughout this letter, and we'll see uh, more of that in in the the coming chapter as James talks further about prayer and reference that a little bit this morning. James makes this convicting and uh, strong statement at the end of verse 2 as he is rebuking these early Christians for the the quarreling and the, the, the selfishness and perhaps maybe even James had heard some complaints about a lack in their life or a lack in their ministry and and, and they're upset about that. And James just comes out and says at the end of verse 2 there that you do not have because you do not ask. And so there is one rebuke that that you fail to ask. You fail to come to the Father with with your needs and therefore you don't have. And then another second rebuke is that you ask and yet you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So there is prayerlessness, which is a problem, a failure to ask of the Lord consistently. And then there is also the problem of asking wrongly, of, of misguided prayers that come from selfish motives and, and result in, in, in a silence from heaven because God is not going to honor a, a self-centered prayer. So I want to look at those two uh, rebukes from James and pray that God help us to learn and to grow as a result. And first of all, then we need to ask often of God. To ask often of God. That, that I think, is, is what James is correcting in the first rebuke. You don't have because you don't ask. So as, as Christians, as children of the living God, we should learn to ask often of God and to ask consistently. What a tragedy it would be to get to heaven either when the Lord returns or we die and and we come before the Lord. What a tragedy if he was to ask us, uh, or sorry, if we were to ask him, uh, Lord, why did you not grant me greater love for my family? Why did you not give me a greater love and zeal for my my church? Why did you not save more of my family members or save more of my coworkers? Why did you not deliver my loved ones from depression or sickness? Why, Lord, did you not do more in my life? And what a tragedy to have him answer back to us because you never truly asked me. You never truly asked me and therefore you did not have. And I fear that is often the case. We, we fail to truly come to the Lord in humility and in faith and to humbly lift up our needs and requests before him, trusting that he hears us and he also has the ability and the power to answer us. And it's true, we know that 
that God knows all things and, and we, we uh, praise God for his omniscience, that he, he knows even our, our, our words before they are formed upon our tongue. But we mustn't think that God is some kind of uh, just mechanical being in the sky that is something like a, a vending machine. We must remember that God is a person. He is a being. He desires relationship with his children. He loves his children uh, more than any of us as parents could ever love our own children. God loves his children and desires that they come to him, that they they commune with him. They, they build this love relationship with him that we have in Christ. He is a person. He is a being. And he wants us to come in prayer seeking his intervention, his wisdom, his strength. He desires that we enjoy his presence and enjoy coming to him in this way, in prayer and in communion. He's referred to as our heavenly father, in, in Jesus' instruction to the disciples, he told them to pray, our Father. And just in that statement, there is so much incredible beauty and, and, and wonder for us to consider. Not just our creator, not just our redeemer, not just our judge or our sustainer. While all of those things are true, he is our Father, our Heavenly Father. And he has this, this fatherly love for his children, wanting us to come in prayer, to ask often of him. In fact, James referred to God as the father of lights in his letter. The father of lights. And and this is not just in reference to creation. We think about the stars and the planets and the sun and the sky. Yes, he created those things. But but we are also referred to as lights in the universe. In uh, his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2.14, Paul said this to the, the, the church there in Philippi. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He described the, the church as shining as lights in the world. And if God is the father of lights, we, by the grace of God, have become lights upon the earth, shining forth the wisdom and goodness of God. We are his children. He is the father of lights. And we know that if a, a child has a loving father, a father whom they trust and, and, and who they know cares for them, uh, they do not hesitate to bring their needs and requests to them, do they? If you know that your dad uh, loves you and, and has your best interest in mind and cares for you, if you have a need, then you're going to come to him and you're going to bring that request to him. And, and, and sometimes, especially with young children, it's, it's the, the fact that you can't really get them to stop coming and stop asking. And uh, on the one hand, you want to maybe be frustrated to set down what you're working on or to, to you know, stop what you're uh, reading or whatever it might be and to give them attention. But at the same time, your heart is overjoyed that they, they have that desire to come to you as their children. Even the slightest need or the slightest desire. And they come to mom or they come to dad seeking help, seeking intervention. This is to be a picture of us in prayer, coming often to God, our Father. Now, we know sometimes our children also demand things. Uh, my youngest especially has gotten into the pattern of 
trying to demand his desires to us. And uh, the other day, I think because my father-in-law had a birthday uh, and he's beginning to associate birthday with gifts and, you know, cake and and, uh, enjoys being in the the spotlight, I suppose. So he demanded that he have another birthday uh, and and he wanted more gifts and and began, you know, very uh, confidently uh, asserting himself. Or instead of asking for a cup of water, sometimes he'll just start shouting, I want water now, I want water now. And, uh, and so, first of all, he gets a spank, and then <laughs> you tell him, if you can ask kindly, then I would happily, you know, get you a cup of water. And so, there, there's obviously a wrong way to ask, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, as James also addresses that sort of attitude in prayer. But Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There is something about this childlike dependence, this childlike um, uh, eagerness to come to the Father and, and trust that he will help me, that he's able to. That is to be how we are in prayer to God. Coming often, asking for his help, asking for his intervention. And this is not something just for new Christians. It's not something that we we are to do only in the beginning days of our Christian life. We know as our children grow and get older, they grow in in independence and they grow in in, in their abilities and, and maybe we're coming to them more often to get help on the things that we're doing. But as Christians, we are to never grow out of this childlike dependence upon our Father. It is to be a mark of the Christian, a mark of our prayer life. Humble, childlike faith upon the Father. When we wake up in the morning, we, we are, we're coming before the Lord. We're asking for his strength. We're asking for his wisdom for the day. We're asking him to, to give us love in our hearts for our children or for our spouse or for our coworkers. We're, we're immediately beginning to pour out our requests and our petitions to God as an expression of our trust and our love for him. We're praying, Jesus said, pray for your daily bread. And the provisions of our family every day, not just looking to what my own hands can provide, but realizing that it's by his enabling strength that I can even go to work or provide or or buy groceries. This all comes from him. And we ought to often ask that of him. In R.C. Sproul's uh, Table Talk magazine, he always had the Coram Deo thought uh, after uh, the, the lesson or the article and of course, uh, you know, Coram Deo in, in, in Grand Prairie picked up on this, this idea as well in the name. And, and it, it simply means to, to, to live before the face of God, Coram Deo, to, to realize that all of your life is to be lived out in the presence of God before his gaze. Every action that you, you uh, act out in your life, every word that you say is done before the presence of God, before the face of God. And so it pleases the Lord when we not only acknowledge that, but we come to him in prayer and in petitions and in dependence upon him. Don't be like Asa, which I'm not sure if I'm saying his name quite right, but is a, an interesting comment about this king's life in 2 Chronicles 16.12 and kind of a 
A good example of, of how not to pray in Second Chronicles 16:12, we read, "In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. <coughs> Yet even in his disease, <coughs> excuse me, my throat is drying up. <coughs> Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. So here's a man, a king, who had disease in his feet, and it became very severe. And yet, what is, is pointed out as shocking to us is that this king, even in that turmoil and suffering and sickness, still did not seek the Lord, but his immediate response, his initial response, was to go to the doctors, to go to the physicians, and from them seek help. Now, does that mean that we should not seek the help of physicians and doctors? No, I don't believe that's the application. But there is this initial, immediate response of the Christian to seek the Lord. I think that's the problem, that, that the Lord wasn't sought. And, and very well, the Lord might have said, well, I want you to go and seek help. You know, that I've put these provisions before you and I want you to use them. Sometimes the Lord uh, miraculously brings healing. But the point is that this king, it did not enter his mind, it did not enter his heart in his trouble to go to the Lord and ask of him. And that really should be our first response. We shouldn't initially just jump on Google or call mom or or call the doctor. I mean, those are things we can certainly do. But the, the initial response should be to come before the Lord in humility and in prayer and say, God, listen, this is the situation and I don't know what to do. I don't know wh- where to turn or who to talk to. And, and, and we should desire to first come to him as our father in heaven and then trust that he will guide us as we make decisions thereafter. I know this, talk, this particular issue raises questions as well to come to the Lord often in prayer, trusting that he hears us, trusting that he can answer us. And we know there are dangers um, in, in prayer that uh, we see, like, for example, in the, the prosperity uh, false gospel. We call it, you know, the, the prosperity gospel, but it's really no gospel at all. It's a false gospel saying that if we just have enough faith, whatever we ask will be given. And if it's not given, then the problem must be that I didn't have enough faith, and we see that abuse of of thinking in prayer. Because we know that even faith itself is not something we generate. We're not some sort of faith-producing power plant that can just conjure up faith whenever I need some. No, Paul says faith is a gift from God, not the result of works, so that no man can boast. So even even our own lack of faith doesn't, doesn't cause us to look inwardly and find some inner strength somewhere. It actually should, should cause us to, again, come to the Lord in prayer, praying as Jesus said, pray for more of the Holy Spirit, pray that God would fill me to a greater degree, that he would increase my awareness of Christ, increase my love for Christ, and, and, and increase my faith, and, and, and we come to God in prayer even in that. So this isn't saying that, well, just whatever we pray for and, and, and believe, then that God is obligated somehow to, to give it. No, we, we learn to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus said, whatever you ask for in my name, which is another way of saying when you ask according to my will, when you ask according to my word, obviously God is not going to grant us something that is contradictory to his word. 
and we submit our requests to his sovereignty. James will bring this out as well, that even our planning and and our thinking about business or profit should all be put under the reality of God's sovereignty and the the possibility that maybe our plans are very different than his. And and we need to uh, give room for that. Jesus never said that we get whatever we want when we ask. But that he will hear us. And when we pray in his name, we pray according to his will, he will certainly answer. A wonderful example of this we know is in the life of the Apostle Paul, which so grateful that, that this was given to us in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 12. You'll remember the passage where Paul describes a thorn in the flesh, which we're not sure exactly what that is. Many speculate a physical ailment or maybe his eyesight was, was very bad. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ideas. But, but Paul doesn't tell us, and, and no doubt by God's design, because we can then quickly, easily make application. Three times he asked that God would remove whatever it was that was described as this thorn in the flesh. And the response to Paul was no, I'm not going to answer your request. I'm not going to deliver you from that. The reason is that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is actually made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul said, then I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And you see that, that humility of Paul in prayer and that desire that God be glorified above all else then instructed his prayer life and, and, and gave him the ability to submit his desires to God's sovereign plan and, and rejoiced in God being exalted, even if it was through his own weakness and sufferings. And so that's the attitude I believe that James is wanting us to cultivate. And that's really what it means when, when he says in Romans 8 28 that all things will work to good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It is an eternal good. It's not a good only for a, a few brief moments, but an eternal good to the glory of God, to, to the, the conformity of our likeness to Christ. God is looking not just to the things of this life, of these, you know, if God grants us 80 years, God's looking to the next 1,000 years, 2,000 years. What will be our good 2,000 years from now as we stand before Christ and give him praise and glory and, and rejoice in the joy of our master? That's the good God is shaping everything towards. And our prayers then become part of the way in which he works this desire into us. There are times when God graciously answers our requests in very practical ways. Um, I remember as a young man praying often for a godly wife and uh, praying that God would grant me a wife who is suited to my, the desire to be in pastoral ministry and the desire for children. And, and you see God answer that prayer in the wife that he gave me. And I'm so grateful for that. And, and sometimes we pray maybe for a need, maybe for a family member to recover from sickness. I know a lot of you have had babies and we pray that God would be merciful and bring those little lives uh, into the world. And we see him answer that so many times. So there's certainly many uh, ways that he practically, even quickly answers prayers and we rejoice in that. 
But then we must also, as Paul did, hold, maintain room in our, in our theology of prayer for the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God that we cannot fully grasp, but still coming often to the king. Only the child of the king would be so bold as to stroll into his room in the middle of the night and ask for a cup of water. And this is the boldness that we have been given, access to the throne of grace. And so we should ask often of the Lord. But not only that, Paul, uh, sorry, James would not have us only ask often, but to ask with humility and in submission to the will of God. And that really is what the second rebuke is about. You, You do not have because you do not ask. But secondly, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. They were not coming as a humble child to God in prayer, but maybe as a worker who is demanding his wages from his boss, or they come as a banker who is owed his interest and demands payment. And, and to come with this sort of arrogance or pride before God in prayer is, is foolishness. And James is rebuking the, the, the believers for doing that, or possibly some unbelievers who were uh, in the church at that time. We do not come to God as though he owes us anything or as though God is a means to an end. And we certainly see a lot of that. I already referenced the, the prosperity, you know, false gospel message that, that if you just pray and have faith, God will fill up your bank account. He will bless everything in your life and you'll have a new car. And, 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 and it's that oh, God is this sort of vending machine in the sky that if we just put in the right numbers, that, that these blessings will fall down from above into our hands. The, the sort of genie in a bottle uh, approach. <clears throat> and I was thinking even the, uh, I'm sure many of you are w- familiar with the story of Aladdin who found the uh, mysterious lamp in the cave. And when he rubbed the lamp, of course, the genie came out, right? I remember watching that as a kid and you think how, well, that'd be, that'd be wonderful to have three wishes. And of course, you ask all your friends, what would you ask for if you had three wishes? And you can't ask for more wishes because that's the rule, right? And uh, and yet, even as a kid, uh, watching that story, you remember the, the kind of one of the heartwarming parts of it, if there could be such a thing, um, is that at the end, of course, he used his final wish to set the genie free, right? And as a kid, I was already aware that, that using someone just for yourself as a means to an end, that's, that's wrong. And so to, to, to actually think about the person, in, in the case of Aladdin, of course, he thought about the genie himself, who was in captivity to this lamp, and he used his wish to set him free. We, even as a child, I understood that was a good thing to do, to, to, to use his wish to set the genie free. You don't use someone as just a means to your own desires and pleasures. And how much more than is it an offense to God when we treat him as just a means to an end? as just a way in which we can get what we need or get what we want, instead of a delight in God himself, in a, in a desire that, that his name be magnified and that he receive the praise due to his name. God forbid that we treat prayer in that way. And no wonder that he would refuse to answer such prayers. 
Or even worse, maybe God gives the people over to their own lusts and desires that they are asking and allows them to to take that to the nth degree and to to literally self-destruct. We've kind of wrapped up the study in the book of Judges, uh, a little bit of homework this week, and then we'll kind of have some discussion on Wednesday about it. But I didn't realize before that in the book of Judges, You have the judges that are raised up, but in the last several chapters, there are no judges raised up. And that should alarm us because what has happened is God has stopped raising up a leader to call his people out of their sin. He has stopped raising up a prophet in their midst to call them to repent and to bring them back. And there's a sense in which God gives the people over. And we have the famous statement in the book of Judges that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is a a terrifying place to be for a nation, for a family, for an individual, that you are given over to your own desires, given over to your own lusts, and God allows you to do what is right in your own eyes and reap the horrifying consequences of that. And as you you know, I'm sure you've tried to read through the book of Judges, and by the time you come to the end of the book, things are so disturbing, so messed up, that it's difficult to read. That is a picture also of God's judgment, of a people who have refused to humble themselves and who have elevated their own desires and pride. There is a time in which God will hand them over. This is the Romans 1 judgment in many ways that we witness in our own culture. If you refuse God, if you refuse his word, if you refuse to humble and and, and acknowledge your need of him, then, then fine. Take all of the sin, take all of the lust and the pride that you want, but you will reap the harvest of that. And so we have to be careful. We have to test ourselves in prayer, our attitudes in coming to the Lord. We might pray for additional income. We might pray for a new job or as a single person. You might pray for a spouse or pray for a child or pray for health or any number of things that that are not necessarily wrong to pray for. We should pray for those things if if there is a need. But let us also stop and ask ourselves, why am I asking for this? Why am I desiring this? Is it so that God would be glorified in my life? <clears throat> is it that I might be more, more useful in his kingdom, that I might serve my family better or my brothers and sisters in Christ more fully? Do I desire that God be glorified in my life and that I might leverage all that he's given to, to his praise and to the good of, of, yes, my spouse or my children? I know that our motives can be hard to discern at times, and so it, it maybe as a couple it's talking about your desires and and the things that you are praying and asking God of and to just take some time to also ask, okay, but why do I want that? Why do I need that? If the Lord grants me that request, what will I do? What what will be my response to an answered prayer? And, And we need to do the hard work of sometimes testing ourselves, doing a sort of spiritual inventory that the Lord would show us even our motives in prayer. James would instruct later on, we'll look at in more detail in chapter 5, but if you just look there for a moment, chapter 5, verse 13, he certainly 
wants the believer to pray for all of our needs. And we read, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. You see, God wants us to pray, and he delights to answer the prayers of the saints. And so we need to pray often, but we also must continually be discerning of our motives that we not come to him and pray with false motive, but praying that God would be glorified through us. Pray often for safety or provisions or renewed health, but remind ourselves that we are to really be like Christ in the garden in our prayers, who though Jesus did not want to go to the cross in many ways, he, he did not look forward to the shame of it, to the suffering to, to being cut off from the Father, to, to having the sins of all of his people put upon him on the cross and to suffer as the vilest of sinners. Jesus prayed and said, Father, if there's a way for this cup to be removed from me, then please deliver me from this. And he is honest in his prayer, but then Jesus also stated famously, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. There is this submitting himself to the Father's will. And, and uh, we're told in Hebrews that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. But he saw the end result, the, the, the justice of God vindicated, the, the people of God redeemed and reconciled, a new heavens, a new earth, the saints clothed in white robes of righteousness. And Jesus submitted even his prayers to God the Father. And we have reaped the great benefit of this salvation. As the author of Hebrews tells us, we'll close with this. Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And may we come to him as children, trusting in his faithfulness. Let's close there in prayer and we'll have a final song together. Lord God, we come uh, to you in prayer and just thank you for the strong words of James. Lord, we know that it's, can at first glance be difficult to hear when there is a rebuke, Lord, and somebody uh, calling us out. We know it was immediately, Lord, to those early uh, believers, to the Jews scattered abroad and the, even the Gentile community. But we know, you know, Lord, that even today, thousands of years later, that we still battle these same temptations. Lord, we still battle um, prayerlessness in our lives in our marriages, in homes, and as churches, that we would 
come often before you and ask, Lord, trusting that you are a loving, gracious Father, that Christ has opened the way to the throne of grace and we have access into your very throne room, Lord. And I pray that we would take full advantage of this tremendous gift. Forgive us when we often fail to seek you first. We are like Asa, who first turns to the physicians or to the fellow man for help. Lord, would you help us to be mindful in all of our needs and all of our requests to, to first come to you as our loving Father. And Lord, we do ask that you would just remind us even in this, in this coming week or possibly this afternoon or evening to just take some time before you honestly and to evaluate uh, the, own, the, the very things we are praying for in our lives or as a church, God, that you would show us where we have false motives, <clears throat> that we would be like Christ who desires above all uh, your glory and your will and that you would teach us to pray in accordance uh, with that. And uh, Lord, I thank you for this time and this dear congregation. Uh, may you continue to sustain us and uphold us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.